0: your Bibles out. Matthew 5, moving through our Beatitudes, had a great time for a service. Believe in God to do it again. Let's thank God for the word. I'm going to read you First part of chapter 5 through verse 12, and then we'll hop into our beatitude for the week. Father, we thank you for this time of worship, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for moving in this place and in our hearts. Set us on fire to have a passion for people who are hurting. Father, I pray the word comes alive to us this morning by the Holy Spirit, that as we understand what you meant, as you spoke in this text to us, that if we would apply these things to our life, there would be a great blessing attached. So, Father, help us to each get something from your heart today, and don't let any of us leave here the way we came, but this us be changed by the word, and I ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So our target verse for this week is verse 9. Listen to it again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of god it's just amazing to me over and over again how the holy spirit orchestrates so many things but the topics of some of our songs and the blessing that kim gave at the end of the first service all has to do with peace god wants us to focus on this topic this morning not by accident but on purpose because he wants us to learn some things here now the text says blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called children of God. What an awesome blessing to be called a child of God. And we're going to, you say, well, how do we get there? Well, the blessing that comes from that is applying this idea of being a peacemaker to our lives. Now, the focus of some of the Beatitudes in the beginning was a little negative at first. You know, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. We don't aspire to those things. They they kind of grate against our flesh. But there again, this is one that is not negative at face value. Everyone appreciates a person who tries to restore harmony between those at odds with each other. I mean, I mean, think about those people you might have known them growing up in the neighborhood there was one kid that always started the fight and there was maybe one kid that always tried to smooth things over so we could all play baseball together again right I mean peacemakers are not people that you think of well you know they're just terrible people you know they get in there and they get all you know they get all nice and tender and gentle and they try and make people you know yeah peacemakers are good they're the type of people we should aspire to be Everyone appreciates a person who gets involved in a situation and, and brings the two parties together. I don't know about you, but I think back to when I was a kid, you know, if you got in a fight or you got in something, they were an adult, maybe would come in and make you, you know, apologize and shake hands. Does anybody remember that? And then what? You got on with life and you, you moved on. And so peacemakers effectuate something that's very important. They keep the peace. They, they keep uh, issues from cropping up. Now, to really understand the value of what it means to be a peacemaker, we must first understand the value of peace. If we don't know why peace is valuable, then what do we need peacemakers for? Just let everything implode and explode and let there be friction and let there be tension. You know, some people thrive on that stuff. Some people like friction. Some people like drama. Some people like tension. You ever known people like that? Stay away from people like that, because you know what? They'll stir the pot and then dump it on you and run away and laugh. That's what they do. But a peacemaker is the one who, who who smooths these things over. And I want you to see, once we understand the value of peace, we'll understand why it's valuable to be a peacemaker, and maybe we'll aspire to be a peacemaker. Peace is often Uh, something that's overlooked if you have peace you don't you know think well you know it's so good um, my peace and everything's good and everything's right you know usually we're in that condition we don't we don't get too excited about it we just expect it's always going to be that way and you know when that peace is shattered then peace is something that we don't really understand its value until it's gone Once our peace is removed in any situation and we can't sleep at night, we're anxious, we've got all kinds of questions, I mean, we we have all kinds of anxieties, then we understand the value of peace. Now when peace is removed in a marriage and that marriage is imploding, and two people who stood at the altar and said, till death do we part are now trying to make death happen. Yeah, somebody, yeah. You know, when marriages like, you know, marriages that are in a combative state, you know, it's ding, ding, in this corner, weighing none of your business. <laughs> and in this corner, weighing so much he doesn't fit in any of his clothes anymore. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the peace is removed from that relationship. And I mean, as a pastor, through many years of counseling and marital counseling, I've seen some of the greatest, ugliest friction in marital relationships that had the peace removed from them. How about when peace is stolen by a doctor's report, and the doctor says, it's a bad report, and now you've always been healthy, but your health is gone, and you're in a fight for your life. Come on, that can, you know, as, you know, as we get older, you know, there's times where, you know, we question our health and every little bump and every little cough and every little thing we think, oh, you know, I mean, this is it. This is the big one, Elizabeth. (laughs) Young people are going, who's Elizabeth? (laughs) Uh. But when that doctor's report steals peace, then we understand the value of peace when our health is gone, we understand the value of being at peace with our health. If it's removed by, you know, the, the parents of a sick child, a child that has a, a disease, a, or, or, or a child that just doesn't want to serve the Lord, when parents have their peace removed in that area, it upsets everything in their lives. When the peace is shattered by financial crisis, and now all the security you built to, to store up for years is gone, and you're financially in trouble. Boy, that can rob your peace. Do you know how many people committed suicide when the stock market crashed? They were leaping off buildings everywhere. Why? They had lost their financial peace. And some of them didn't see a point to living anymore. Wow. When peace is swallowed up by the compounding demands and stresses of life, do you remember when you were a kid and you were carefree and all you had to do was get up every day and play? And now there's work and bills and mortgages and taxes and. When peace is removed, we understand the value of peace. And since we can relate to all of these things that I'm talking about, we understand peace is so vitally important. In fact, if you don't have peace, you really don't have anything. What good does it do to have all the things of life and all of what life has to offer and piles of money when you don't have health and you don't have joy and you don't have good relationships? and your peace is gone. Now, many in the world fancy themselves as peacemakers because they have the knack of getting two opposing parties together and and tricking them into compromising just enough that they can live together. You know, if you've ever seen politicians and they always like to try and broker peace deals in the Middle East, you've seen this stuff for decades and decades. The politician in the middle of, you know, you got the Arabs here and the Jews there and they're shaking hands like this. Come on, you've seen those pictures, right? Come on, smile, it's good for your face. And when they take a picture, it's a photo op. And as soon as they're done shaking hands and the camera clicks, they're back at odds with each other. Because effectuating peace is not a photo op. It's not pushing people to compromise. It happens when hearts change. And I don't know about you, but only God can change a heart. So this is not what Jesus is talking about, that superficial worldly peace that's brokered through deals and people giving concessions. No, it's something much bigger and deeper than that. A real peacemaker is a person God can use to heal and restore others. A real peacemaker is a person God can use to heal and restore others. so important. It's much more than just a superficial, you know, let's shake hands, let's grin and bear it. No, it's much deeper than that. God wants people that he can use to restore and to heal others others. Now, here are four marks of a peacemaker I'm going to give you this morning. By the grace of God, I'm praying that each one of them will challenge us to to aspire to be peacemakers. Number one, a real peacemaker, real peacemakers are soul winners first. Let me say that again. You don't look impressed. You're going to give us work to do? Absolutely. What was Kelly talking about there? Again, our worship service and our preaching together, just meshing together. We've got to get out into the world. We've got to tell people about Jesus. We've got to see the lost saved. When we look at humanity and we look at them, do they know that God loves them? Well, whose job is it to tell them? It's our job. So real peacemakers are soul winners first. Now I want to say this. We've got to start here first. Why? Because the first place that we should broker peace with others is peace between God. If you and I don't have peace with God, then we can't have real peace in any other area of our life. We've got to have peace with God first. Now, if you think about to the point, maybe some of you were saved decades ago. Maybe some of you came into a relationship with Jesus this year. Maybe some of you are going to accept him at the end of this service. I don't know. But listen to me. Once we get right with God, everything else falls into place in our lives. So if we want to see peace in people's lives, we've got to lead them to the cross first. Don't waste your time trying to solve all the problems and solve all the relationships and fix all the financial and the bad decisions. And Why? Because those are just the leaves on the tree. You and I can drive ourselves crazy picking the leaves off the tree. We've got to go for the root. The root is this. Are, am I right with God? Am I in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ? Have I yielded myself to the cross? Come on, church. Come on, church. Woo! Preaching better than you shouting. You know it just makes you want to start throwing stuff. Let's go. So peace is valuable. Real peacemakers are soul winners first. Proverbs 11, 29, 30 says this. Listen to the proverb. He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind, and the foolish will be the servant of the wise. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. That last part of that proverb, he who wins souls is wise. That word wins literally means takes. He who takes souls. I want you to get this image in your head of someone snatching someone out of the muck and mire of sin and taking them out and pulling them out and leading them to the cross so that they can meet Jesus. I want you to have that stuck in your head because you and I can literally take souls out of the darkness and lead them into the light. Now listen to me, the harvest is plentiful. There are plenty of souls to take. If you've ever, if you've ever shared the gospel with a person that's ripe, it's the most exciting thing ever. You know, there are some people you could argue with them for days and they're just like, nope, 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 no Jesus. You could prove to them in the scripture, even if you got a pink Bible cover, God bless you, but you, you could prove to them, right? And you could show them. And I know you do this, like you have a heart for people to, to see that. And you could show them and they're just like, no. And then you could go to someone and before you, before you even lay out the gospel, you say, Jesus, Yes. Wait, wait, I wasn't done. I, I got to go through the Romans road and give you two scriptures and then an altar call. No, no, now I want Jesus now. Why? Because they're ripe. If you ever minister to people that are ready to get saved, it's the most exciting thing ever. And understand something, you know, the harvest is plentiful. The labors are few. What does that mean? There's a lot of souls for the taking. If we'll just be peacemakers and broker peace between the lost and bring them to God, we're going to be able to see people's lives change. Look, there's some of you out here who do this all the time. Every other time I'm in church, I'm meeting somebody you brought to church, someone you witnessed to, someone, you know, who, who you invited. And some of us never do anything. And the oxygen gets sucked out of the room. I felt my sweater lift towards you. Many hands make light work. All of us should do our part. Who are we inviting to church? Who are we leading to the cross? Who are we bringing into this environment where the Holy Spirit moves? You know, we we had people testify that there are new people in church that've been here five times. They're so happy to see a church where the Holy Spirit's moving. Sometimes we forget what what we could do. You know, it's the new people. The new people are excited to be here. The other ones are like, Ah, what do you got for me today? I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to preach something. God will give me some lumps to preach. Because if we know we should be doing it, we're not doing it. I'm not moving on. I'm going to stay on point one for three hours. So the flip side of Proverbs 11, he who insults his wise. What's the flip side of Proverbs 11? People who have a saving knowledge of Jesus and keep it to themselves ain't too smart. That's the flip side you know about Jesus, if he's changed your life, if he's made the difference in your life, and you're not telling the people around you, that's not too smart. He who wins souls is wise. You and I need to be wise. Now listen, I want to say something about brokering peace with God. That's the most important thing, but there, uh, listen, any kind of peace that doesn't come from being right with God is fake, flawed, and temporary, and I don't want to say that because a lot of people say, well, I'm at peace. I have peace. You know, my wallet's full. The, uh, you know, the cops haven't knocked on my door lately. And, you know, everything's good. Yes. <laughs> and, and there are people who say, well, you know, I don't need God. I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. I, I have peace in my life. Any kind of peace that we have when we're not right with God is fake. It's temporary. And it's not going to last. Some people use drugs to, to, to establish this fake sense of peace in their life. You know, I'll just, you know, I'll just get high. I'll just put a substance in my body. I'll just smoke something. I'll just snort something. If you see a heroin addict that shoves a needle in their arm, for a moment their face actually looks peaceful and tranquil. You say, what is that? It's fake counterfeit peace. Come on, church. The enemy likes to counterfeit everything God can do. And so some people will use alcohol and drink to the point of drunkenness. What? To numb the pain of life, to numb the pangs of sin. And and that's just fake peace. Now everybody's like, yeah, drugs and alcohol, you shouldn't drink too much. That's bad. But now let me say something that's gonna make everybody mad. How about food? Some people use food to give them a, a fake sense of peace. Come on, there's whole aisles in the grocery store. Comfort food. What does comfort food mean? Comfort food means it tastes good, but it's gonna kill you, right? You, you know, little Debbie, come, she come with like a skull and crossbones. You, you, you can't eat this. It, there should be a thing on the box. If you're over 40, spit this out. You, that's gonna kill you. you. You can't read the ingredients. If I can't read the ingredients, you, you shouldn't eat it. Ziathin, wyathin, mexa, what? What happened to sugar and flour and eggs? Eggs, yeah. (laughs) Think about that. Comfort food. Some people numb themselves with food and they eat themselves into a state of fake peace. Some people use, you know, uh, a sexual pleasure or a physical pleasure, or comforts, you know, wealth, power, achievement, success. Some people get a, a fake sense of peace out of achievements. If I can just achieve this, if I can just, you know, I want to be a millionaire by 30 years old. And then you get there and you realize it's it's empty. Yeah. <laughs> it's temporary at best. Come on, are you, are you feeling what I'm what I'm saying here? So the world is addicted to all these avenues that... that Give them a a fake sense of peace. Now, listen to me. The peace that comes to the hearts of men when everything is right in their world is not the same as peace that comes to the souls of men when everything is right between them and God. I want to say that again and I want you to really listen to it. The peace that comes to the hearts of men when everything's right in their world isn't the same as the peace that comes to the souls of men when everything is right between them and God. If it's not right between me and God, it doesn't matter what else in my life I try to draw my peace from, it's not gonna last. It's fake, it's a counterfeit. And listen to me, we have got to show people that they should not settle for fake peace when God offers them real peace through Jesus Christ. Always seek to broker peace between those estranged with God first. Tell everyone who will listen to you what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for them. Shout it from the rooftops that fake peace can only numb the pangs of pain and sin momentarily, but it comes with a terrible, eternal consequence. Real peacemakers are soul winners, and all of us should be soul winners. Number two, real peacemakers learn to use their spiritual gifts well. just waiting for something. I know, sometimes I just like to be quiet and see what'll happen. Somebody will wake up. Real peacemakers learn to use their spiritual gifts well. You know, there's something to be said for someone who develops their ability really well, someone who can play a, a sport really well, someone, you know, I mean, we just, we take athletes and we put them on pedestals because they can hit baseballs and they can, you know, catch footballs and they, all of this stuff. Now, right, we, we esteem them. But, you know, there's something about the ability of man that when you, when you come right down to it, we have abilities and we can, you know, we can develop those abilities, but there's something, it takes something much bigger and deeper to broker peace between people who have broken hearts or are estranged or relationships that are destroyed than, than just man's ability. And I want you to see this. It's going to take spiritual gifts. Why? Because to restore peace into situations is a spiritual work. It's not just, you know, a counseling thing or coming up with the right points or getting people to make the right concessions. Uh, Sir William Temple said this about the abilities of men. He said, the abilities of men always fall short on one side or the other, like a blanket that is too small when you're in bed. If you pull it up to your shoulders, your feet are bare. If you pull it down to your feet, your shoulders are Uncovered, and so I want you to get that image into your head. That man's ability, while we have some of it, it's incomplete. It can't cover everything. That's right. If you've ever been cold and you had a blanket that was too small for you, you know exactly what this is like. Come on, think about it. Like you wake up and there's a part of your body that's freezing. Anybody ever sleep? Anybody ever wake up? Anybody seen pictures, read stories? I mean, I remember as a young person, like camping and stuff, and you know, you bring all your stuff, but you forget your sleeping bag. Now you're sleeping under like a tablecloth, and you got it this way, and this shoulder's got frostbite, and then your, your foot turns blue, and you're, you're like in the fire as the embers are going down. I want you to get that picture in your head. Why? Because the abilities of man, while, you know, we esteem them, they're incomplete. They can't cover everything. To accomplish spiritual things, we need more than natural ability. We need supernatural ability. And those supernatural abilities are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to each of us. Come on, you got gifts today. And when you use your gifts, you produce fruit. <laughs> Such an exciting thing. A believer with a heart to be a peacemaker needs to practice these three spiritual gifts. Here are the three main ones we're going to need. Number one, the gift of intercession. Intercession. We need to pray for other people so that when we minister to them, God has already softened their hearts. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. I said prayer is powerful. Prayer changes hearts. Prayer changes things. When we intercede for others who are hurting, we we do something and the Holy Spirit gets out there in front of us and begins to soften the hearts. Now, in World War II, the American military learned that huge volumes of concentrated aerial bombardment and naval shelling would soften enemy targets. And they used this battle doctrine in the amphibious campaigns throughout, you know, when we were landing men on beaches. In D Day, we hit six beaches, and those beaches were pulverized by American battleships and destroyers, and they were bombed from the air. And the purpose was this that they would destroy the German defenses before the military hit the beach so that there'd be less casualties. I want to tell you in the same way, prayer softens the hearts of men. Prayer softens the hearts of someone who the enemies built up all kinds of defenses and all kinds of fortifications and all kinds of excuses. And intercessory prayer gets in there and the Holy Spirit directs those prayers so that they become accurate and they pull down strongholds. Come on, I wish there were some Christians here this morning. <laughs> You know, when you mention prayer, the body of Christ seems like, ah, uh, it sounds like work. we got to turn off the TV. we got to put down the phone. we got to turn off the computer. we got to stop with the games and get on our knees and pray. <laughs> and I know it's a tough sell in our generation because it seems like these things are just the opiate of life that they just, you know, they suck up our time and take our minds away and knock our stress levels down. But, but we're not praying enough to see changes has got to be changes in us and changes in our nation. And it comes through intercessory prayer. Use your intercessory prayer to soften the target, to soften the heart of a person that is estranged from God so that when you go in to minister to them, the Holy Spirit will have effectively pulled down their excuses and their defenses so that the word of God can penetrate. Number two, the second gift we've got to develop is the gift of discernment. We have to be able to discern things, amen? And, and you say, well, how am I supposed to know what's going on in a person's heart? You know, sometimes you can just look at someone and think, man, they're hurting. Have you ever seen a person and you kind of just look into their eyes and boy, you see like brokenness. Their countenance reveals it. But sometimes you look at a person and you can't tell what's going on at all. Those are the poker players. They just don't let you know. You know, like what's going on in there? And they Like that video we saw, they hide behind a smile. So how in the world are we going to get in there and help fix broken things and broker peace and heal relationships and bring them to God? We've got to have a level of discernment to see into the spiritual realm. Now, discernment is a spiritual gift and it needs to be developed. Why? Because without it, we're just shooting in the dark. The Holy Spirit wants us to give us spiritual insight, but there again, this only comes when we pray. So intercession first, and then through intercession, as we're praying about people and situations and about, you know, what God wants us to do, then all of a sudden God begins to reveal to us through the spirit of discernment, the, the things that they're stuck on so powerful to move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to operate in, the, in discernment, to use the word of knowledge, to have the Holy Spirit. Has anyone ever given you a word that was just like right on the money, that just pierced your soul? Come on, raise your hand. And they speak to you. I mean, if God's never spoken to you through somebody, God's never spoken through to a sermon where the word, man, you were wrestling all week, and the topic of your wrestling is this week's sermon. That's the Holy Ghost. Man, and you know, when you walk into that, you're like, yes. And God begins to answer the questions of your heart. How does that happen? Through spiritual gifts, through discernment, through intercession, through prayer. Intercession and discernment are something we have to develop. The third gift I want to talk about is the gift of wisdom. Do you know someone could know you're hurting, someone could know what you're hurting about, but but they could not have wisdom, which is the proper application of knowledge, and they could tell you to do everything that's the wrong thing to do. And you say, well, yeah, people who are Christians. No, I've had Christians tell me to do the wrong things. Have you ever had that? I know, yeah, people are shaking their head. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've had that. You know, and then maybe I got a word for you. No, you don't. You got a word from you and I don't want it. Let no man lay hands on you suddenly. Just don't, you know, test everything according to Scripture. Test the spirits. But, you know, when someone has discernment and they do minister to you, they're going to need wisdom. Wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. There's a lot of people who know a lot of stuff, but do you notice they can't get anything done? Or they make more of a mess. They, make, they got degrees and diplomas and abilities, but maybe on the job site you've worked with some of them. You know they're, they're not educated in the real world, and they get in there and they just make a big mess. That's the Christian that doesn't have wisdom. You and I need to get wisdom. Where does it come from? From the Holy Spirit. How do you get it? We need to ask for it and he'll give us wisdom on how to help people. There again, it comes through prayer. It comes from discernment. These all work together, but these three gifts have to be developed if we're going to be peacemakers. You say, well, pastor, how do I develop my spiritual gifts? Use them. Use them regularly. Amen? Well, I used it once, and I think I got it. No, you got to practice. Practice makes perfect even with spiritual gifts. You know, I've been playing guitar for over 40 years. I practice still two hours a day. Sometimes I don't want to put it down. If I haven't figured it out by now, I should probably take up chess. <laughs> but anything you do for more than 20 minutes a day, you're going to get good at. Right. Develop your prayer life. Develop your spiritual sensitivity. Develop wisdom. Let the, read the, the Proverbs over and over again. Read the Word of God. It'll renew your mind. It'll give you wisdom. Wisdom. Yeah. Peacemakers use their spiritual gifts well. You know, I hope that this sermon is a lot better than my first one when I was 15. Because if it's not, I need to practice harder. Develop your spiritual gifts. Number three, real peacemakers are other centered, not self centered. Now, some people just checked out. It's all about me, baby. That's all about me.com, right? (laughs) But if you want to be a peacemaker, you've got to be other-centered. Real peacemakers don't say things like, well, this is none of my business. Do you ever meet people like that? They see, I mean, it's amazing today. Nobody wants to get involved in anything. There's people being mugged. There's people being beat. People walk right past. You got a pretty lady on the side of the road with a flat tire. People just whiz by her. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to, this is none of my business. I don't want, they could sue me. They could mug me. They could, you know, they could traffic me and send me to Istanbul. I don't know. No, it's not. You know, people like, this is none of my business. Or how about this? I got no horse in the race or there's nothing in this for me. Self-centered. Doesn't that just, I mean, it smacks of self. You know, people say, you know, uh, there's nothing for me to gain in being involved in this. Now, listen to me. We don't just get involved in every mess that we pass by. I understand we've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's where discernment and wisdom kick in. But you know, when God says, roll up your sleeves and, and open up your ears and listen and care and help, when God says to do that, and we're like, not my problem. I remember I had a guy working on my property one time and we were doing some excavation and doing some stuff. And I said, how about, you know, this area over here, I want it dozed and cleared and graded. And he said, not my problem. And I thought, well, I'm paying you. So when I give you a check that says zero, maybe that's going to be your problem. (laughs) Could you imagine like people like that? Not my problem. What kind of attitude is that? I mean, in business, it's a horrible attitude. But as a Christian, it's even worse because we're the light of the world and we should shine in the darkness. Come on. But if we got an attitude like there's nothing for me to get out of this, so I'm not getting involved, real peacemakers don't say things like that. Real peacemakers do live in the spirit of Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Listen to this. Uh, This is becoming one of my favorite scriptures. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with all humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Verse four, listen, do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but for the interest of others. Wow. If we could just live by that. Do you know what I mean? If you say this scripture to this generation, consider others better than yourself. Heads will explode. No, it's all about me. It's all about, you know, I'm the center of everything. You know, and all of us are a little self-centered. We're just born that way. I've used that illustration. I, I was talking about this with first service, but you know that you're a little self-centered when you look at a group photo because the first person you look for in the group photo is who? It's yourself, you know? You know I'm not like, oh, where's Kim and the kids? No, it's where's me? You know, because you're concerned. Was my mouth open? Was my tongue hanging out? You know, as you get older, it gets worse. Is my zipper down? Am I asleep? You know. <laughs> But (laughs) Pastor Mike's worried about drool and he's worried, (laughs) you you know, and it's like, you look at that. That just shows all of us are a little self-centered. And there's no fighting that. It's just in our human nature. But we've got to learn to be more other-centered than self-centered. And if we won't get this, God can't use us. Well, well, that's good because I didn't want to do it anyway. Isn't that where our hearts are at sometimes? (sighs) Ah. God wants to use us to be peacemakers, but we've got to be other centered more than self centered. We've got to kill that part of us that says, me first, me first, mine first, I get the biggest piece of cake. Do we ever grow up from that? If we're going to look like Jesus, if we're going to be children of God, we have to. Are we self centered to a fault? If we are, we're not going to have the grace to help others. Are we self-centered to a fault? If so, we're not gonna be able to follow Jesus in bearing one another's burdens. Are we self-centered to a fault? If so, we're never gonna be peacemakers. We're just gonna build our own thing and ignore all the hurt around us. And there's no blessing in that. Number four, the fourth mark of a real peacemaker. So we've looked at a couple of things here. Real peacemakers are soul winners first. They use their spiritual gifts well. They're other-centered more than self-centered. And number four, a real peacemaker is scriptural in the way they restore peace. Now, whether you knew this or not, the Bible lays out a blueprint of how we should restore peace to others. The world has its own idea how to restore peace. You know, they have the counseling and they have, you know... Uh, medication and all this stuff. You know, when counseling doesn't work in the world, what do they do? They stick you on medicine. And you see people, they're brokenhearted, they're hurt, they were physically abused, they were sexually abused, and they try to counsel them. They try and talk through it, but there's no talking through it. Why? Because they need spiritual healing. So when that doesn't work, they stick them on medicine. Then that medicine makes an imbalance in their body chemistry, and they need another medicine. And that medicine has a side effect. And before you know it, they're on a cocktail of medicine, and they're Zombies. Now, I'm not against medical science, and I'm not against medicine, and I thank God for some of these things that we have that work so well for us, but I'm saying that the answer is spiritual many, many times. It's a spiritual healing, and it doesn't come from a pharmaceutical. It doesn't come from a pill. It comes from the hand of God. Peacemakers will restore Peace in a scriptural way. Now, when it comes to restoring peace in fractured relationships, God's word has a very clear methodology. Listen to Galatians 6 1 through 2. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourselves so that you are not tempted. Listen to verse two, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So it says when you see someone hurting, you see someone broken, you see someone that's not at peace with God or with others, what do you do? If you're spiritual, restore them. Real spirituality is rolling up your sleeves and being other-centered. You know, many times in the body of Christ, when someone's at fault, someone's at odds, what are they? we attack them. We judge them. We, 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 you know, we shoot our wounded. It's crazy. That's not what the word says. It says to, to restore them if we're spiritual. Huh. So if we're not spiritual, we do all those other things and prove what we are. But spiritual people restore others. They broker peace. How about Matthew 18, 15 through 17? This is powerful, very clear. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them... Tell the church, if he refused to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Wow. So there's a very clear hierarchy in how to deal with someone who needs their peace restored with God or with others. First of all, you go to them and you do the one-on-one. See, this is what we hate. We don't like to do this. Why? Because it takes guts. And we'd rather just post it on Facebook. foolishness. Well, I'll change the names or I'll change the scenario. I'll say I'm just posting for a friend. Everybody knows what you're doing. Go to that person if you've got an issue with them. If John sins against you, if we have something, you know, we're fighting over a piece of wood, it was mine, you know, it's a locust, I want that piece, you know, and John gets his chainsaw out and we're fighting Husqvarna against steel. Yeah. Husqvarna is better, (laughs) John. It's okay, John. So, you know, we're fighting. So now what? I I go, I go tell Gucci, God, John's a jerk, man. He took my piece of wood. I can't believe this guy, you know. Gucci says, pastor, go get out of here. Go talk to him. I got to go back. So now John and I try to work it out, but we don't work it out. In fact, we defend ourselves and it's a bigger problem. Now it's uglier. So now you, you get two brothers to come with you. Pick some people who are more spiritual than you. You know, don't pick the hot head and the, and the knucklehead and take them. on, oh, I, I got a posse going here. Let's go. Let's go. Brass knuckles and, you know. <laughs> so then you go to them. This is what the Bible teaches. And you, and you appeal and you have a sit down and you try and work it out. If that doesn't work, you bring it to leadership. Notice, bringing it to leadership is three. <laughs> is that three? Yeah, Three. <laughs> Pastor, you need to straight. Did you go to him? No, I'm not going to him. Did you, did you sit there? No, no, no. You fix it for me. The Bible says it's easier to work it out one-on-one. Why? Because now there's not an audience there. The more people we add to this mix, the more there's an opportunity for people's pride to get stirred up. Now they don't have to just say, yeah, I was wrong, brother. Now they have to be wrong in front of everybody, including the pastor. There's some things I just want people to handle themselves before it makes it to my desk. If it makes it to my desk, it's going to be a little stickier. So understand I'm always here, but let's follow the biblical precedent here, what it says. Now it says here, this is the hardest part. If you, know, you, you go to them, no, no dice. You bring others with you, no dice. You bring them to the church and they don't listen to the church. It says that they refuse to listen even to church leadership. Then cut them off. Let them be like a Gentile or a tax collector. They don't hang out with them. You don't eat with them. You don't fellowship with them. You, you cut them off. Now I'm talk, this is about people who are in serious sin, not an argument over a piece of wood and chainsaws. So the Bible lays out a methodology of restoring peace. And the real peacemaker will follow it. Because it's the only way to bring a lasting peace. Now, there's a little bit more here. When it comes to restoring peace with broken people, Jesus not only has the answer, he is the answer. And it's my lack of peace, you know, and others that say, when there's a lack of peace in my life, I need more of Jesus. Now, check out what what Jesus said here in Matthew 11, because a lot of times people think, you know, should I even bother Jesus with this? I'll just handle it myself. Have you ever thought that? Oh, I can fix this, only to make a bigger mess than you started out with. You know, look what Jesus says. Should we bring it to him? He says in Matthew 11:28, 28, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So Jesus has an open door policy. Are you lacking peace? Come to Jesus. If you're at odds with your brother and sister, come to Jesus. If you know you have great conflict in all your relationships, come to Jesus. Jesus has a peace for every situation of the heart. John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it fear. If you believe in God, believe in me also. Wow. Jesus has a peace to give. Oh, I'll figure it out, pastor. I'll get it done. Or, you know, I'll just, you know, I'll make it happen myself. Or I'll just ignore it for a while and see if it goes away. Bring it to Jesus. There's a biblical methodology to broker peace between people who are at odds. And if we'll follow it and give people every opportunity, it'll work. But if we harden our hearts and we refuse to submit, then there is a time where the scripture says, you gotta cut someone off like that and let the Holy Spirit minister to them and hopefully change their heart because we've done all we can do. So the conclusion here is that, you know, if we'll be soul winners and if we'll learn to use our spiritual gifts and if we'll become more other-centered than self-centered, if we'll, you know, restore peace in a scriptural way instead of a worldly way, there is a blessing that comes from that and all of this boils down to this. The blessing is they shall be called children of God. Now that might not seem much of a blessing at face value, but what an honor it is to be called a child of God. And you know, we should be excited about it because Jesus said to some of the religious people, your your father's the devil. And they weren't too excited about that. So when people say you're a child of God, when God says you're a child of mine, hey, that's my son, Rick. That's my son, Pastor Mike. He calls Mike, Pastor Mike. That's my daughter, Kim. What an honor it is to be a child of God. And yes, it comes through relationship. It comes through salvation. But it also comes as a result of being a peacemaker because the word says so. When you and I, the thing about children is this. You know, many times they'll say, oh, well, that's, you know, he's his father's son. Or, you know, well, she looks just like her mother. And the thing is, children look a lot like their parents most of the time. Children look a lot like their parents. Now, when you and I lead people to the cross, we look a lot like Jesus. When you and I use our spiritual gifts to build the kingdom of God instead of building our own kingdom, we look a lot like Jesus. When you and I put away our self-centeredness to care about others, we look a lot like Jesus. If you and I follow the blueprints of scripture to reconcile people to God and to reconcile people to each other, boy, we look a lot like Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Let's bow our heads today. <clears throat> Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for your love and your mercy and your grace on each of us. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't come as a judge, or you didn't come as the jury or the executioner, but you came as a peacemaker to broker a peace between us and God because we were estranged from the Father and sin separated us. But you broke the power of sin and you made it possible for us to be in relationship with the Father. Thank you, Lord, that you led by example. Jesus, every one of you, every one of your children need to be peacemakers. Teach us, train us, show us how to use our gifts, help us to to snatch people out of the muck and the mire and bring them to the cross. I want to give you an opportunity here today, if you've never ha- had an opportunity to accept Jesus personally and receive him as Savior and Lord, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. You say, well, wh- why do we have to do it here? Because the Bible says, uh, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. There's something about a public declaration that says, you know what, I want Christ to be the Lord of my life. The Bible says if we confess with our mouths and believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'd be saved. He made it so easy. All we had to do to him is say, you know, I'm a sinner. I recognize you died for me. I need a savior. Would you be the Lord of my life? It is that simple. Just a decision of your will, acknowledging that Jesus died for you and rose again will save your soul. God made it so easy. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to get your life together. You, you, don't take a, you, know, you don't clean yourself off to get in the shower. You get in dirty. Come as you are because he loves you the way you are. But thank God he loves us too much to leave us that way. If you want Jesus to give you a clean slate and a fresh start, you want a new beginning, you want to be forgiven of your sin, I want you to raise your hand today. How many people would say, I want to take that step today? I want to ask Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Praise God. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Ushers, put something in their hand. God bless you over there. God bless you. Mm. Such an awesome thing, an awesome step today. Anyone else? Lord Jesus. Let's pray a prayer together. Say, Lord Jesus, I come to you a sinner, and I recognize you're the Savior. So I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I repent today. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the power to live a different life. From this moment forward, I belong to you. I receive you as Savior and I accept you as my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, welcome to the family of God. God bless you today. God bless you today.